The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. To open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. So before we start, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity, the great privilege to be up here tonight. I pray, Lord, that you'll guide my words, guide my thoughts, be a blessing to your people tonight, Father. We pray that you'll get all the glory and honor from it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 1,900 years ago, there was a religious group who kept all the Ten Commandments paid a faithful tithe, they were the most faithful in every detail of religious life, and they murdered Jesus Christ. Why do I make this statement? Because it illustrates the extent to which men will go to maintain the sinful status quo. You see, the Pharisees in their arrogance and pride thought they were good. They thought keeping rules was how they were going to please God. I think much the same way we can become calloused and lazy in our Christian lives and fall back to looking good rather than being good. Paul said in Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. If we are going to grow to spiritual maturity, it will require us to be focused to make efforts. We, we have to be deliberate, and we have to be genuine. God's word is intended to change us, to make us look at the areas where we're lacking, falling short, missing the mark. What it does is it confronts us and forces us to evaluate ourselves. When we do that, when we see how we fall short, It provides us the tools by which we can address those shortcomings and change. So tonight, my my sermon is called Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing. So before we read, I'll give you a little bit of background. The book of Titus was written by Paul between A.D. 62 and 64. Titus, much like Timothy, was a beloved and trusted disciple and fellow worker in the gospel. The major theme of this epistle is that of equipping the church for effective evangelism. In chapter 2, which will be the topic, we will see that effective evangelism had to be preceded by an unassailable testimony of righteous, loving, selfless, and godly lives. Paul told Titus the same thing that he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2. In the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses... The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So if you're in Titus, please stand with me. We're going to read, it's a little bit lengthy, but we're going to read all the verses. Titus 2.1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, 
not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Thank you. <clears throat> so there's a lot here for all of us. Whether you're young or old, man, woman, or child, there's always something you can do to bring glory to God. These exhortations are not suggestions. They are things we are to practice daily. So what is the thing we as Christians strive to do in our lives? What is the right thing? Titus 2.1 says, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. In other words, we have to believe that what we are reading is true. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Are we resistant when we hear something in God's word that conflicts with a presupposition we may have? Do we get offended when someone reproves or corrects us? Are we humble enough to be instructed, or do we resist? We all know the areas that we don't want God's word to touch. Another component of speaking the things which become sound doctrine is that we are commanded to defend the faith and identify those who are sp spreading false doctrine. Jude 3 and 4 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, contending for the faith requires activity. It should be done earnestly, zealously, and consistently. We need to be a, a, a vigilant to identify false teachers that would corrupt the sound teaching of the Bible. Passivity will lend itself to a church that will decline due to compromise on clear biblical standards. How does this happen? I had, I had five thoughts. There's probably more, but these were, these were my, my five. <clears throat> Pastors that are not called to the ministry. 
So this runs the spectrum from unqualified men not sound in the faith to outright false teachers that seek to fleece the flock and deceive. Number two, de-emphasis on doctrine as being too divisive. These are churches that seek unity solely around some sentimental idea of love rather than the truth. Listen, there's nothing more loving than telling, the, telling people the truth about their spiritual condition. Number three, compromising on godly music. This is the replacement of godly hymns and songs that highlight the doctrines of the faith with shallow contemporary repetitive choruses. Additionally, with the onset of the worship team, the congregation has been reduced to spectators rather than participants. So, number four, unsaved membership or no emphasis on membership nor a commitment to the local church at all. Closely correlated with the congregation being reduced to spectators is the gradual erosion of being committed to the local church, committed to its ministries in any way. Pastor Litzenberger, I, I think he coined a term, he may not have, but this has stuck with me for, for all the years that I've known him. He said, the church is only as strong as its weakest member. Number five, worldly lifestyles. When our lives conform more to the world than what is outlined in the Bible, there's a problem. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, Romans 12.2. So all of these com contribute to the decline and eventual destruction of churches. And we must constantly guard against this. As uh, Brother Jorge said last week, we're all soldiers in this fight. So number one, our doctrine should be sound. Number two, we must defend the faith. And finally, we ought to live it. James 1.22 says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Our lives ought to reflect what we claim to believe. Romans 12.1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Notice, Paul says, being holy is reasonable. Are we doing that? Moving on to our text, Titus 2.2, 2, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Obviously, this is not a description of a young person in the church, a new believer. Qualities of the older men of the church. But there is no reason why we can't expect the majority of the men here to fit this profile. And young men, if you're here and you're not striving to become more mature in the faith, the question needs to be asked, why aren't you? As men in the church, we should always be watchful over our conduct and conversation. Our behavior, speech, and dress should reflect that of a mature adult, not a child. As Titus 2.2 says, if we're going to be sound in the faith, it means we should know the doctrines of the faith and be able to teach others. Ephesians 4.14 says, 
that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. It would be tragic to be so immature in the faith that we're useless to God in leading our wives, teaching our children, and ultimately be ineffective in the Great Commission of leading others to Christ. So back to our text, Titus 2, 3. Now it's your turn, ladies. <clears throat> the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So I doubt very much that these qualities are embodied by many in the women's mar marches that we see today. You know the ones I'm talking about? We've seen them. What is at the heart of this movement? It's the exact opposite of these verses. Let's look at these verses and contrast them with what women are being encouraged to be today. So the Bible says to be sober. The world says be frivolous. The Bible says, love your husbands. The world says, what do you need a husband for? Love your children. Well, children are a burden, aren't they? The Bible says to be discreet. The world says to be lurid. The Bible says to be chaste. What does the world do? It elevates obscenity. Look at pornography. It's a multi-billion dollar criminal enterprise. What? I don't know. It's not a business. The Bible says to be keepers at home. John Gill said, minding their own family affairs, not gadding abroad and inspecting into and busying themselves about other people's matters. The Bible says to be good. The world says to be bad. The Bible says to be obedient to your own husbands. What's the world say? Regard your husband. He's an idiot anyway. Right? You don't believe me? Turn on the TV. Men are portrayed as either creepy stalkers or complete imbeciles. This garbage has been foisted upon modern women, and sadly, many embrace it. I don't mean to be harsh, but you simply cannot have it all. Something is going to suffer. I think what it comes down to is what history do you want to make? What do you want to be your, leg your legacy? I couldn't do what my wife does. I often tell her if I stayed home with the kids, they'd eat a lot more junk food and there'd be a lot more tears because I'd probably kill them. <laughs> Seriously. But, it, but ser in all seriousness, it does take an extraordinary kind of temperament to deal with and nurture children. And women, you are just way better at it. Let's look at a, a day in the life of a stay-at-home mom. She's a laundress, a seamstress, a maid, a gardener, a secretary, a chauffeur, a chef, 
a conflict resolution specialist, <laughs> a teacher, a nurse, a nutritionist, perhaps a herbalist, or maybe even a witch doctor. Witch doctor, right, Eric? And an accountant. Isn't that enough? I think that's enough. Look at what Proverbs 31 says about the ideal woman. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth, I'm sorry, 31 and then down to 25, excuse me. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. It's a blessing to see the women of this church exemplify these godly virtues. And if practiced, they will pay t tremendous dividends. So older ladies, you're called to teach the young women. And younger ladies, you ought to be receptive when one of these older, wiser women in our congregation take an interest in you. The problem is, is that it can be really uncomfortable to bring correction or receive it from our Christian brothers because we're so conditioned to be offended by everything. That is what our society is teaching us. But what does God say? 2 Timothy 3.16, again, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, truly furnished unto all good works. The key is that this should be done in humility. When it is, the hearer and the giver will grow in our sanctification. And isn't that the point? Similarly, Titus 2.6 admonishes the older men to exhort the younger men to be sober-minded. We are to model a pattern of good works, and as the Bible says, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech. Is there any better example to the young people in our congregation than for them to see our lives and conduct lived out? Our testimony should be the most precious thing to us because when it's ruined, we bring dishonor to Christ, our families, and ourselves. We live in a time where anything goes and nothing matters. These things should matter to us. Are we doing the right thing? And we don't have an excuse because, think about it, we have so many resources at, at our disposal. We have our Bibles, but we have the internet. Look, we, look at what we can access. We can look at commentaries, uh, systematic theologies, and watch sermons. All of this, things that men have compiled for decades, we can get in a second. Unfortunately, many of us don't want to expend any energy in this area, and we want our pastor to do all the work. That's not going to cut it. So back to our text, 
Titus 2.9, exhort servants, as we read this morning, to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. This is reiterated in Ephesians 6.5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as man-pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. These verses tell us that as it relates to our employment, we should be the best employees in the company. Right, Jay? We should be honest and trustworthy. This is particularly important when it comes to our children. We should be instilling these virtues in them, teaching them to work hard and be assets to their employers. The problem is that children are not being taught or trained to become adults. They go from children to adolescence, and many of them remain there. This is just one symptom of the decline of our society. What's the root cause? It's the foundation of societal health, the family. It's being systematically destroyed, and with it, children are being left to navigate through life on their own. Actually, they're not on their own. The state has been more than happy to fill that void. And what is it filling it with? A godless, a godless philosophy. So what do we do? How do we combat this godlessness? Deuteronomy 11:18 through 21 says, Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that ye that they excuse me, may be as frontlets between your eyes. And ye shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorpost of thine house and upon thy gates, that, the, that, your day, that your days may be multiplied in the days of your children, in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. So let's look at this. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to bind them on your hand, put them in front of your eyes, teach them to your children. When? When you're sitting in your house, when you're walking, when you're lying down, when you get up, what else? Put them on the doorposts of your house. Put them on your gates. What's the payoff? That your days may be multiplied in the days of your children. It's kind of important to God. Hebrews 12.9 also says, furthermore, we had our our fathers, uh, we had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present time seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, listen, Afterward, it, yield, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. 
So we need to teach our children God's, God's word. We need to correct them when they need it, which is kind of all the time, and not be worried about them not liking it. Look at Hebrews again. It will yield a peaceable fruit of righteousness. The key word in this verse, Titus 2.10, is showing all good fidelity. In other words, being trustworthy, loyal, and faithful. And doing the will of God from the heart, Ephesians 6.6. 6. Our motivation to do the right thing should be because we love God. When we love God, we will love our children in the right way, and we'll, we will be able to teach them to become mature adults then we can have the best assurance that the words of Proverbs 22.6 will be fulfilled in their lives. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. <clears throat> I'll finish with what I think is the, most important, the important verses, most important verses in this message. Titus 2, uh, 12 through 15 teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So we should be living a godly life, leading our wives, teaching our children, being an example to the brethren because we have a blessed hope. Christ has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness. As verse 15 says, we have been given authority to boldly live and proclaim the thing, these things, and we need not be ashamed of it. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Look at Galatians 1, 4 and 5. We are told that he gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So he has purified us. He has made us a peculiar people. When I look around and I see all the bizarre stuff that's happening in our society today, and it's totally acceptable. I feel peculiar, don't you? That peculiarity means that we no longer think as this world does. That peculiarity means that we belong to Christ. And I don't think we often really consider what that means. Think about your, your investment portfolio. You have stocks and bonds, real estate, gold, perhaps Bitcoin, Ethereum, diamonds, all of these in various valuations. But think about it. Christ, we have a limit, limitless portfolio of visible assets. And we have it right now. We don't have to wait to access these assets. They're right here. And they're right here, imputed to us through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God. Listen to 2 Peter 
and 4. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So why has God done this? Because he wants us to practice it. He wants us to be holy. Be zealous of good works, Titus 2.14. Speak and exhort and rebuke, 2.15. Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Do the right thing. The problem is, is that living the Christian life is impossible to do in the flesh. We cannot do these things in the flesh. We must depend upon the Holy Spirit to not only put these things in our heart, but empower us to do them. Zechariah 4.6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Ezekiel 36.27, And I will put my Spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Only when we know Christ savingly will we have the capacity to understand these things and do them. Without Christ, we fulfill the words of 1 Corinthians 2.14, which says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So the unsaved man has no ability to please God, nor do his will. For, for without faith, it is impossible to please God, Hebrews 11.6. But now, as saved people, we have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. So now we are, we are able to fulfill his will. 1 John 2.24 says, Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, Ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In Galatians 6.9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Listen to what John Gill had to say about this last part of this verse. If we faint not. But continue to the end, persevere constantly in doing acts of beneficence, and patiently wait, as the husbandman does, for the precious fruits of the earth. For there must be a distance of time between sowing and reaping. Men must not expect to reap as soon as they sow, and therefore should not be weary of sowing, nor impatient in waiting, though they do not see as yet the appearance of the fruits thereof. For in their season they will be seen and enjoyed. Doing the right thing means making the sacrifice of instant gratification. We are constantly faced with difficult choices. We live in a postmodern society, meaning that the normal standard of morality and decency 
that governed our culture for decades is no longer adhered to by the majority of our countrymen. Our society is in the midst of a re-education campaign which seeks to destroy us, and especially our children, primarily through the school system, sorry, and the dominant media culture, which permeates nearly every area of our lives. It's just what it is. That's what's happening. We have to understand that there is a being that controls and dominates the minds of fallen humanity. Second Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, But if our gospel be hid, hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. That being is Satan. And, the only, and only the Holy Spirit can penetrate the blindness that he has imposed on mankind. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Unless and until the Holy Spirit regenerates the sinner, we will be faced with examples like the one I'm going to share, or like the two that I'm going to share with you in a second, which illustrate the ideological divide that exists and the accelerating decline of our society. Okay, so I said the school system's destroying our, our society. Well, here's two examples, and I could give you hundreds more. University of Massachusetts at Amherst, Education 115, Embracing Diversity. What does it teach? That the U.S. is a nation of racism and bigotry. Do you know you're a racist and a bigot? Well, that's, that's what children are being taught. Clemson University is ramping up, ramping up efforts to push a social justice agenda on campus. A social justice agenda on campus following a new diversity education program. Do you know what diversity education is code for? Brainwashing. So let's just insert that. Following a new brainwashing program for faculty members, the university has now announced plans to create a similar, get this, mandatory course for freshmen. Chief diversity officer Lee Gill. We just went from John Gill to Lee Gill. I just thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Lee Gill. So he's the chief diversity officer. Now think about that. If he's the chief diversity officer, there's an entire department devoted to this. What's Lee Gill going to do? He's going to unveil the new mandatory CU1000 course, which is described as a zero credit, pass, no pass course that all new Clemson students will be required to complete, required during their first semester of enrollment. I heard it once said, college is where you go to learn to be stupid. Children don't think this way. They're taught to think this way. <laughs> I'm not saying that every institution is entirely corrupt. We need doctors lawyers and engineers, so college does have its place. I get that. We just have to be discerning when we go. We don't live in a utopia. 
There is no ideal, no matter how good any of us try to be. But, why would we knowingly, willingly expose ourselves to institutions whose goal is not just to teach, but to promote promiscuity, homosexuality, transgenderism, drug abuse, identity politics, social justice, and most especially hostility toward Christianity. We try to teach them here what's right, then we chuck them out there and they're indoctrinated with this nonsense. I don't get that. Can someone explain that to me? Here's, here's what God has to say about it. 2 Timothy 3.1 This know also that in the last days perilous time shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more, pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Did you get that? From such turn away. Are we going to ignore or rationalize the dire consequences that making the wrong decisions will yield? We know what is that best thing, but we often choose the path of least resistance. Meaning we don't want to make the sacrifice today that the fruit of that diligence will bear in the future. We also assume that things are essentially the same as when we were growing up. I mean, I went to public school. It was fine. It's totally changed. It's not at all like it used to be. If we don't wake up and do what we know we should, we'll be looking back, but we won't have to wonder how it all went wrong. Unless you ladies think I've beaten you up too much in my previous comments, I'll say that the reason our society has deteriorated to this sad state is due to a lack of godly male leadership. It's our fault. My thinking is that we simply have to arrest this disintegration. And it starts with our own family. I mean, that's the only people we really have any influence on anyway. So we need to focus on the areas that are lacking. As I said when I started, God's word is intended to change us, to make us more like Christ and less like us. So, after giving you all that good news, how do we proceed? What is the remedy? It's twofold. Number one, if you're here today and you have not trusted Christ for salvation, I'll leave you with his words. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Acts sixteen thirty one. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. So number one, salvation is the remedy. 
Psalm 51:17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Without salvation, you are the natural man of 1 Corinthians 2:14. You are powerless to live for God. So that's number one. Number two, what does God want from us if we are saved? He wants a humble, usable person. A person that is submitted to doing things God's way. That is someone that God can use to bring glory to himself and be a blessing to others. What does God want from us? Micah 6, 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. If you are here tonight, and you are not saved, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. If you are saved, you know what God wants you to do. When you do it, you can be sure you're doing the right thing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org